Welcome to Classics Unlocked, a program brought to you by Universal Music and Classics Direct. I'm Graham Abbott. The three operas composed by Giuseppe Verdi in the early 1850s are among the most regularly performed theatre works in the world, and this program explores one of them, La Traviata. The other operas in this trilogy are Rigoletto and Il Trovatore. Rigoletto was premiered at La Fenice in Venice in 1851, and Trovatore was first performed in Rome in January 1853. These two operas, while very different in many formal and musical respects, have some striking similarities. Both have historical settings, like all operas did at the time, and both have a leading character, Rigoletto in the earlier work, Azucena in the latter, driven by parental love and the desire for revenge. At the same time as he was finishing the score of Il Trovatore in Rome and conducting its premiere, Verdi was already preparing his next piece. This was to be very different in many respects, and some of those differences show us yet again that Verdi was always aiming for something new and more powerful in the theatre. Yet the opening night of La Traviata was a disaster. Verdi had agreed no later than April 1852 to write a new opera for the 1853 carnival season in Venice. But in late 1852, he was hard at work on Trovatore in Rome. It wasn't until the November that he and Francesco Piave, the librettist, agreed on an operatic version of the French play The Lady of the Camellias by Alexandre Dumas the Younger. Trying to set a controversial French play as an opera in Venice had caused Piave and Verdi all manner of strife with the censors when they wrote Rigoletto. But as usual, once Verdi got inspired by a plot, he was unshakable. This time around, the censors didn't find anywhere near as much to complain about. The working title was Amore e Morte, Love and Death. This the censors found offensive. Verdi considered calling the work Violetta after its principal character, but eventually it became La Traviata, which can be effectively translated as The Fallen Woman. The other major change made at the demand of the censors was the opera's date of setting. Opera was regarded as a historical art form, describing past events. Dumas' story was contemporary, and Piave and Verdi wanted the opera to be contemporary as well. Showing a woman living in sin was one thing, but showing a contemporary woman living in sin was quite another. This would have crossed an unmentionable line with many in the Venetian audience whose lives would have borne an uncanny resemblance to the events on stage. The fact that Verdi himself was living in sin with the famous recently retired soprano Giuseppina Straponi at the time also seems to have been an issue for the censors, but not for the composer. They had started their relationship in 1847 and had worked together professionally before that, but they didn't marry until 1859. Bowing to pressure, Verdi and Piave moved the setting of the opera to around 1700 even though they wanted it to be set in their own times, the 1850s. It wasn't until the 1880s that Traviata started to be staged in the 1850s, by which time the 1850s were safely enough in the past. 
It is staggering to realise how quickly Verdi wrote La Traviata. It seems that the score was created in well under three months. Il Trovatore was being revised and rehearsed right up to its premiere in Rome on the 19th of January 1853. By that time, very little of Traviata seems to have been written. Yet Traviata was premiered in Venice less than two months later, on the 6th of March. La Traviata opens with a short prelude which provides a musical portrait of Violetta Valérie, the fallen woman of the work's title. The melodies we hear are associated with her final illness, her love for Alfredo, and her flighty life as a courtesan before discovering true love. It's interesting that these ideas are presented in the prelude in this order, that is, the reverse order to that in which they appear in the opera. Thus, the delicate trills and ornaments in the prelude set up the start of the opera, in which Violetta is seen as a woman of the world living for pleasure. The first of the opera's three acts is a single scene set in Violetta's house in Paris. It is August, a party is in full swing. Violetta has been ill, but this party signals to high society that she's back with a vengeance. She's introduced to a young man, Alfredo Germont, who has loved Violetta from afar for some time. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. In the course of the festivities, Alfredo is persuaded to sing a drinking song, which has become one of Verdi's most popular tunes. This brindisi, or drinking song, falls into a very conventional pattern, with Alfredo and Violetta each having a verse, followed by the chorus and a coda. Yet, and here's the real genius, in context it all works completely naturally.
As the others leave to dance in an adjoining room, Violetta remains behind, and we have the first indication that she is still far from well. Alfredo returns to declare his love, which Verdi sets in earnest, heartfelt tones. His confession of love includes a melody which will come back later during Violetta's aria. Violetta's flighty response to him, warning him not to be too serious, is reflected in her florid, decorative ornamentation. This is a perfect example of Verdi's ability to paint character in music, with two completely different people reflected in different musical styles, which nevertheless blend into a coherent musical whole. The guests eventually re-enter to say goodnight and depart, leaving Violetta alone to think over her encounter with Alfredo. Here again, Verdi uses a stock-in-trade set piece for his leading lady to end the act, but what life he breathes into it. Far more than a mere recitative slow cavatina and fast cabaletta, this really does fall into the character of being, as described in Grove Online, a double aria. In the recitative, Violetta muses on her feelings. The first aria then follows, musing on the real love offered by Alfredo and the stirrings of her feelings for him. In this, she sings the same melodic line about love, the pulse of the whole world, which we heard in Alfredo's part of the duet. This section of Violetta's scene has two verses, but the second verse is sometimes cut in performance. For now, we'll just hear the first. Oh, for 
But then Violetta stops herself. Ashamed of her sentimentality, she resolves to forget such nonsense and, as a woman alone in this teeming desert called Paris, live for pleasure alone. She abandons Alfredo's simple melody and indulges in coloratura excess as a reflection of her resolve. Alfredo's voice is heard off stage, reminding her of the other way of life which is on offer. Is he outside her window or is this happening in Violetta's mind? But she tries to drown out his melody, which she herself was singing just a moment before, with more and more volleys of vocal display. It's one of the great moments in all opera where vocal display is designed to reinforce real emotion, and both are equally served.
Act 2, set the following January, is in two scenes. The first is set in a country house near Paris. Violetta did not stick to her resolve and allowed her heart to rule her head. At the start of the second act, she and Alfredo have been living together for three months. Alfredo is given his aria at the start of the scene, singing of his happiness in love. The maid, Anina, enters and tells Alfredo that Violetta has been selling her possessions in order to finance their life together. Filled with remorse, he rushes off to Paris to raise money himself. Violetta appears and is puzzled by Alfredo's sudden departure. We now meet the baritone member of the trio of principals. Giorgio Jamon, Alfredo's father, appears, and his encounter with Violetta is set by Verdi in a long, finely structured duet. Each of the four main sections pushes the drama forward, and we see and hear Violetta's happiness shattered before us. Giamont describes his daughter, Alfredo's sister, as a pure angel. The intended contrast with the shameful woman before him is clear and intended. Giamont tells Violetta that his daughter is about to be married, but the bridegroom will not proceed if Alfredo continues to bring shame on the family by continuing to live with Violetta. Violetta assumes this is a request to temporarily separate from Alfredo to allow the marriage to happen, which she agrees to do. Giamont quickly sets her straight. He requires a permanent separation, not a temporary one. Oh, <laughs> 
nostro cor, no, no. Violetta's anguish is instantaneous and palpable in the seemingly erratic music Verdi gives to her. But there's nothing erratic about it. The composer calculates the effect on the listener magnificently. proceeds with Jamon's hardness reinforced as Violetta crumbles under the weight of social demands which undermine her happiness. She capitulates and agrees, for the sake of Alfredo's good name and the happiness of his family, to end their relationship. Even after telling Jamon of her own illness, and here she reveals that she is in fact seriously ill and that she expects to die soon, all he can do is sympathise but he will not relent. The tension is incredible, especially for a modern audience who want love to triumph over social conformity. That Verdi himself was undergoing exactly these pressures in his own life at the time makes this scene all the more poignant. The duet ends with Germont piously promising Violetta that her sacrifice will be rewarded, while Violetta asks that Alfredo eventually be told the whole story after she dies. Left alone, Violetta writes a letter to Alfredo, but he arrives before she's finished. Her agitation disturbs him, and her cry of Amami Alfredo, love me Alfredo, in this scene is the melody we heard at the centre of the opera's prelude. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. She departs and Alfredo finds her letter. His cry of anguish at understanding her attentions brings Germain back onto the stage who attempts to comfort his son. Here, Verdi and Piave place the baritone aria. In this, Germain reminds Alfredo of his home and his family and how he believes God has intervened to save them all from ruin. Chi dal cor di cancello, chi da 
Jamon's aria is followed by a short duet for father and son to end the scene, in which Alfredo is consumed with rage. He assumes that Violetta has willfully abandoned him for her old life in Paris, and, knowing that she has an invitation to a party there, rushes off to find her. The second scene of the second act is at that party in Paris, at the house of Violetta's friend Flora. It's clear that everyone knows about Violetta and Alfredo's separation. Violetta indeed enters on the arm of another man, Baron Dufol, and when Alfredo himself arrives, there's no way a confrontation can be avoided. Their short argument, out of earshot of the others, only serves to inflame Alfredo, who has now completely lost his self-control. He calls all the others in and, in front of them all, hurls his winnings from the card table in her face as payment for their time in the country together. This insult sees Germont Sr. enter as he has followed Alfredo and he denounces his son's shameful behaviour before everyone. He may think Violetta's life is immoral, but he knows the sacrifice she has made. The end of the second act is an extraordinary piece of slow music for all the principals and the chorus, a set piece in which the various emotions of the moment are expressed in heartbreakingly beautiful music. It's so beautiful and so appropriate that the usual fast stretto ending is not required.
Act three takes place a month later. We return to Violetta's house, and she is in her sickbed. We're made aware by the visit of the doctor that she doesn't have long to live. Left alone, she reads, in speech rather than singing, a letter from Germain, telling her that Alfredo had fled abroad after fighting a duel with the Baron. Furthermore, Alfredo now knows the truth about what happened and is hurrying back to her. The letter is read over the orchestra's reminiscence of Alfredo's melody expressing his love for her. Violetta fears it will all be too late, as she knows she is dying, and her aria is a farewell to past happiness. Revelers outside underscored the contrast with Violetta's hopeless situation, but Alfredo's arrival injects a note of happiness, however fleeting. Their duet sees them dream about leaving Paris to start a new life together, but when Violetta tries to stand up, she simply hasn't the strength. She tries to ignore her weakness, but eventually gives in to despair. She is dying. The duet ends with them singing of the tragic fate that has befallen them. Thank you. 
sorte! Sono là, a mia, cara vestire! Adesso, attenti! No! leads immediately into the entrance of Alfredo's father, who only now realises the truth of Violetta's impending death. He's overcome with remorse at the pain he has caused. Violetta gives to Alfredo a portrait of herself, accompanied by music reminiscent of the Miserere in Il Trovatore, with its death motif of three quick notes. At the very end, underpinned again by Alfredo's love melody, Violetta has a sudden feeling of wellness, as if she were miraculously cured, but it's an illusion. She falls dead to the horror of all present. We'll conclude the program with the final moments of La Traviata. Despite moments of approval, such as at the end of the first act, the opening night audience for La Traviata in Venice in March 1853 booed and jeered most of the performance. It was one of the worst opening nights in Verdi's career. Some sources say the audience couldn't accept the soprano Fanny Salvini Donatelli in the role of Violetta, as she was apparently too large and, even at 38, thought by some to be too old to convincingly play a consumptive courtesan. Other sources say the baritone Felice Varese, despite successfully creating the role of Rigoletto two years earlier, was now past his best. One of Verdi's most famous letters resulted from this fiasco. La Traviata last night, a failure. Was it my fault or the singer's fault? Time will tell. Time, of course, did tell. 
After a few revisions to the second and third acts, Traviata was given again, in Venice but in another theatre, the following year. It was a critical and popular triumph, and the new soprano, Maria Spezia Aldighieri, was by all reports amazing in the leading role. La Traviata hasn't looked back since. The recording of Verdi's La Traviata used in this program was made in 1977 and recently remastered and reissued by Deutsche Grammophon. It is without doubt my favourite, involving some wonderful singers in their prime and a conductor who was simply a legend. It featured Ileana Kotrubash as Violetta, Placido Domingo as Alfredo and Cheryl Milnes as Germain. The Bavarian State Opera Chorus and Orchestra were conducted by Carlos Kleiber. Technical production for Classics Unlocked is by Tom Ford and I'm Graham Abbott. We'll end with the tragic final moments of La Traviata.
sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.